What's up, church? Hey, can we just give the Lord a hand? Amen. So uh, we're grateful that you're here with us. We want to welcome those that are joining us uh, on our Edgewood campus, as well as those that are still joining us online. We're glad to have you. And today we are going to be diving in uh, to the book of Hosea in chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Meanwhile, as we prepare to talk about Hosea, I want to talk about another guy that kind of resembles Hosea in, in some ways, I guess by his name, and his name's Jose. Uh, so Jose Amavisca is a guy who about a, a little over a year ago, we actually sent to Mexico to plant a church there, and uh, they uh, have uh, been planting a church for about a year and uh, really have had a lot of challenges uh, to, in a sense, to kind of get it moving and traction. And as they got some traction after the first of the year, uh, we partnered with a, a, another church there, uh, COVID hits, and uh, it has just been a huge challenge. Uh, nonetheless, he called us in the middle of June and was like, hey, man, we have we've done all that we know to do. And we just feel like the Lord is calling us back to the States. We feel like we want to serve somewhere in a local church, but we don't know what all that looks like. And so uh, we got together as a leadership team and said, hey, listen, we're already supporting you budget-wise. And so why don't you just come back here and uh, we'll just figure it out as we go. And so uh, today is uh, Jose and Romance and their three beautiful girls' first day back. And... Uh, we're, we're excited to have him. The way the Lord orchestrated that was really a crazy thing because uh, in the middle of June, he literally calls me. I'm like, hey, listen, I don't know what it all looks like. I said, I'm going to make a call for you. We call Wills Point ISD, and they're like, we will hire her today, uh, speaking of romance. So that just shows the favor and the rapport they have in our community already. And so we don't even know what his job description all looks like. We haven't figured all that out. What we do know is he's a very talented uh, gentleman, and uh, they're a blessing to our body. And so we're looking forward to having them back. If you see him, we've already put him to work upstairs today. Uh, we were shorthanded, and so he's helping stuff, make sure it gets out to uh, the campus and online and doing some sound stuff and helping in a lot of ways. And so we're grateful to have them back. Look forward to see what the Lord does uh, in this season of their lives as well as what it means for us here at Stone Point. And so uh, I already have a long list of things I think he can do, and I look forward to him taking a bunch of that off of my plate as well. It's going to be awesome. Um, so, hey, before we uh, dive then, if you don't mind, let's pray together. Let's just ask God uh, just for uh, his wisdom and uh, just for the Holy Spirit's leadership as we study the word together. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you for the text uh, that we are going to read together. Uh, Lord, we thank you that it reminds us of your righteousness and your goodness and your steadfast love for people who will obey you. And Father, uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the promise, Holy Spirit, that while we uh, can oftentimes drift from you, Lord, you are there in our lives to remind us to come back. And as we read this text today, Lord, we know there was a people who um, did not have all that we have in the spirit uh, of God. And so, Lord, we, we read this and we learn from this text today. But, Lord, we also know that there's, uh, there's much in store for those who will love you. And so, Father, we pray you would help us to love you and serve you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This week I was reading a story about uh, two um, boats that were going to take off from Memphis, uh, Tennessee, and they were going to travel down the Mississippi River to New Orleans. Uh, both of these, uh, these boats, these paddle boats uh, driven by uh, steam, uh, were going to head south, and they left the port at the same time. And as they did so, they recognized 
that they could, in a sense, make a, a competition out of it. And so a handful of uh, people on boat A were chastising boat B, and they began to kind of dialogue back and forth, and the race began. And as they raced down the Mississippi River, uh, one of them began to, to fall behind, and uh, of course they would hear uh, jeers and taunting from the other ship, and, and it was just kind of a uh, this turmoil that was kind of happening amongst them. Uh, the problem was is they, they raced down to, to Nor- New Orleans towards the south. They realized that both of them had plenty of coal on board to provide all that the boats needed. The problem was they didn't have enough coal on board to provide for a race, but just a steady pace. And at one point, they realized they were going to begin to run out of steam. Meanwhile, one of the ships had a sailor on board that realized, hey, we might have some cargo on board that if we began to put it into the the furnace, maybe that would sustain our pace. And so sure enough, they began to take cargo on board and throw it into the furnace. And lo and behold, it worked. And one of the ship's finally gets there and they arrive and they actually win the race. The problem is, is they have no cargo to deliver. Now, I don't know about you, but that can feel like life, right? And listen, here's where God has me in this season of my life is I realize that I am on a race, right? Paul says we run a race and it's as if we have a prize, a crown that awaits. And so we want to run our race diligently. The problem is sometimes we forget that we have precious cargo on board. So Kelly and I, we got married 18 years ago, a decade ago. Uh, The Lord blessed us in a way that we could start uh, a family. And so we see the fruit bounty of a family. The problem is now we're 10 years into having a family and we can look back and see times where we've forgotten about the precious cargo that's on board. We we set a pace, we run fast after it, uh, and oftentimes it takes a variety of, of, of shapes and forms and and it, in some ways, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself forgetting about the things that God's entrusted to your care. And so I'm going to give you a message today about what I think is really happening in this text. And that is the pursuit of a generation that's lost its purpose. And in Israel, they've lost their purpose. They've forgotten what it is the Lord really desires for them to do. And so Hosea in chapter 9, about midway through, he reminds Israel of their heritage. He reminds them about what it is the Lord had called them to and the expectation he had for them. And this is what he says in Hosea chapter 9, verse 10. He says, Israel was like grapes in the wilderness. Now, if you have ever had grapes fresh off the vine, they are fantastic. He goes, that was what Israel was like. He goes, I found Israel. They were like grapes on a vine. He said, they were the first fruit on the fig tree in the first season. He goes, there is where I saw your fathers. What he's reminding the people of Israel was, is he goes, if you remember what God had done for you, it would be amazing. He goes, you were nothing, and then I made you something. I made you like a fruit tree. You were uh, a fig in its season, and you were sweet and succulent, and it was a blessing and a heritage to the people who wanted to taste of that sweet tree. Your grapes were Whereas if they came from the choice vine. Now, what he's reminding them of is this. He goes, if you'll remember, he goes, your people dwelled in Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia near the Tigris and the Euphrates River. And if you'll remember, I went there and I called out a guy named Abram and his wife, Sarah. And I said, if you'll follow me, I'm going to make you into a nation. And I'm going to make you into a choice people. You're going to be like um, the 
the sand on the seashore. You're going to be like the stars in the sky. You're going to be numerous. You're going to be blessed. And I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to, I'm going to protect you from your adversaries. I'm going to make you into a people in which nothing can come against you. Even after 400 years of an incubation period in Egypt, he goes, I brought you out of Egypt, did I not? We went to Pharaoh uh, with, your servant, with the servant Moses, and he let the people go. And he goes, and I brought you across the Red Sea. He goes, you remember that, parting the waters? And then he goes, and what did I do? He goes, I set in motion a plan to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. I made your, your, your uh, descendants great. There were plenty of them. I promised you land. I promised you blessings. He goes, did I not also give you the law, the decrees of God, that if you'll follow them, you'll be a blessed people? Hey, did I not tell you what you should do and how you should do it? He goes, what other nation on earth had that? He goes, but you had it. And he goes, did I also give you judges and then kings and then prophets? Did I not pro uh, give a proclamation to you that from your seed, the seed of, of your your people, that all the nations would be blessed? Because when you're fruitful and you have seeds that multiply, guess what? People are benefactors of it. And he goes, well, won't all the nations be a benefit to this one nation, Israel? He goes, do you know what all I've done for you? You were fruitful. And then you became barren. Why? Because he goes, because you forgot to keep my decrees, my covenants, my plans. But he goes, you know how that happens? He goes, it happens when you put your eyes on the wrong prize, when you start running after the wrong thing. And when you stop running to God and you run after something else, then guess what? He goes, you'll find yourself in a really difficult spot. And he goes, you know how that happens? He goes, you forget to teach the generation after you what's important. Matter of fact, all throughout the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see God making a proclamation to the people of Israel. Uh, and he, he tells them pretty easily what they're to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 40, it just simply says this, Therefore, you shall keep his decrees and his commands, his statutes, which I'm giving you today, so that it may, be, that it may go well with you and your children after you. And then he goes on and he says this, that you may live long life of the land of the Lord, your God, that gives you for all time. What does he say? He goes, hey, you want God's blessings? Hey, tell your children and their children what to do. Follow me. Pretty, pretty simple, right? I mean, it seems to be pretty simple. A couple of chapters over in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 and 25, he goes, hey, what do you do when your son asks you the question in, in the time to come? Like, what, what do you do? The, the son asks the question, hey, what are the meaning of all these rules that the Lord our God has commanded us? Like, why, are, why do we have all these stipulations? Like, why do we have, why do we have all these things? What's the purpose? And then he goes, you're to tell your son, hey, do you remember when we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand? Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his entire household. Then he brought us out from there, and he gave us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. And the Lord commanded us to obey his decrees, to fear the Lord. Y'all got that? Obey the Lord, fear him his decrees. And he goes, and you're going to have a prosperous life. You'll be kept alive as is in the case today. As long as you are careful to obey, careful to do all the Lord's commanded you is what we have on the screen for you, that he is telling us what to do to produce righteousness in us. Here, righteousness in us. Friends, here's what it is. He goes, you follow the Lord, you obey him, and you teach your children to do the same. And he goes, and that's what a blessed people looks like. He goes, that's what Israel was. I had made them my own. And then he says, look at the latter part of verse 10. He goes, but, 
There's a big but right there, okay? They came to Baal Peor. And when they came to Baal Peor, they consecrated themselves to the thing of shame, and they became detestable like the thing they loved. And here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the story in Numbers chapter 22 uh, through about Numbers 26, 27. And it's talking about Balaam. Balaam summoned by Balak, uh, Balak the king of, of Midian and uh, the, the area of Moabites. And he goes, hey, I want you to, to do something against this nation. I've seen their destruction. I've seen what they're doing to other people. He goes, they're going to destroy us. We have nothing on them. They're the people of God. And so he summoned Balaam. And he goes, hey, Balaam, can you do something? And Balaam goes, I can't do anything to them. I can't touch them. They are God's people. Anything that I would do would surely result in, in a problem. And sure enough, everything that Balaam uttered ended up being a blessing to the people. So God ended, ended up blessing the people of Israel threefold. And it just became, in a sense, something that frustrated, frustrated Balak. The problem was, is that after they see God's blessings, the people of Israel, you get to Numbers chapter 25. And after they've received the blessing of God, this is what they do. They come to Bel. Peor. And at Bel Peor, they are seduced by the Moabite women. They snack on their foods and they serve their gods in worship. That's what they do at Bel Peor. God blesses them, brings them out of Egypt, setting them to go into the promised land. They come up against the Moabites. The Moabite women go, hey, you look good. Hey, don't we look good too? They invited them in. They have pagan worship, idolatry, which leads to sensual um, things, lust, fornication, all those things. They're seduced. They snack on their food, which happened to be probably brisket, which is pork, which they couldn't have. And guess what? The party was on. And God goes, Bel Peor. They're introduced, and guess what? You let them give way to that. He goes, that's how easily the people of God could go wayward. They became detestable like the things they loved. And so here's my first thought is this, is that, friends, humanity is always searching after something. Israel was always searching after something. Even though they knew the God of heaven and earth, the very God of creation, even though they were literally plucked out of Ur of the Chaldeans in Mesopotamia, set on a solid foundation, they still always found themselves searching for something better. And I don't know about you, but can't we oftentimes be pulled in something like that as well? Like we can oftentimes be in a demise of searching after something. And my question would be this, what are you searching after? Like in this season of your life, what are you searching after? For a lot of us, it may be pleasure. For some of us, it's, it's just self-worth. Like we just need to be needed. We need to be noticed. For a lot of us, it's just some sort of satisfaction. For others of us, it's our identity and a purpose in some, some strange way. Maybe in this season of your life, you've just forgotten who you are and what it is that you're needing. Uh, for a lot of us, we're just looking for friendship. Like we just need um, companionship. For others, fame, value. Some of it's beauty. For a lot of us, it's just meaning or attention. Some of us, it's a voice. Like in this culture, like we just need to be heard. It seems like everybody else is heard. Why can't I be heard? And so we're looking for things. For a lot of us, it's popularity. It's blessings. And listen, here's what I will tell you is this, is that if you're not careful, you'll search after the wrong thing. Why? Because anything less than the God of heaven and earth is less than satisfactory. God has created you to love him and to serve him. Blaise Pascal says it this way. He says, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by the creator of all things, made known to us through Jesus Christ. He's going, hey, listen, we are created to not be satisfied. We are always have this insatiable quench, a thirst after something. And he goes, and you're going to fill it with something. And the question is, is what will you fill it with? 
He goes, if you're not careful, you'll pursue the wrong things and you'll find yourself empty and depleted. Matter of fact, as as Hosea is speaking to Israel, this is what he says to them. He goes, you're going to find yourself flying away like a bird. Your glory is going to end up being your shame. And he goes, it's going to fly away like a bird. There's going to be no birth, no pregnancy, no conception. He goes, the the people of God who are the most blessed nation on all the earth are no longer going to be blessed. You're going to be barren. There's going to be no delight. There's going to be no peace. There's going to be no joy. And he goes, and there's really no fruitfulness. And the Lord is literally saying, I'm going to shut the womb of even the women in the land. Verse 12 says, even if, if they were to bring up children, I will bereave them till none is left. Woe to them when I depart from them. And you might ask yourself, well, why would the Lord do that? Like, why would the Lord, in a sense, allow this to happen? Like, no birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they do conceive, that it won't be a blessing. And here's the question. Is the next generation ever a blessing when the next generation's off target? No. Even our kids know that up here. No, listen, can I ask you a question? Lean in with me on both campuses and online. Are we seeing in our nation a group of young men and women that have been off target? Are we asking ourselves how the nation got here? And can I tell you how? The nation got here not because of our young foolish children, but because of our parents and grandparents. The reality is all of us have to realize that the reason that we are bereaved in this season, the reason that we have heartache and the reason that we are, in a sense, um, in denial is because we have slowly drifted away from the focal point of the Lord. It happened to Israel. It can happen to anyone. And in Israel, it happened to such a point that there was no blessing in the land, no fertility. And so what did they do? They chased after Baal, the fertility gods, hoping that something would change, that their crops would have rain, that their women would have fruitfulness, and that they would have children. And guess what? All of it was closed. Why? Because God says, listen, Baal doesn't have ears. He can't listen. He can't respond. And so if you continue to seek after them, you'll know that the true blessings are withheld from you from the one true God, the creator of all things. Verse 13 says, Ephraim, I have seen. They were like a young palm planted in the meadow, but Ephraim must lead his children out to slaughter. Uh, For instance, your Bible might actually say that they were like the prosperity of Tyre. It might mention Tyre, another land that was prosperous. He goes, but yet they oftentimes Look to prosperity, but you won't find it. He goes, you used to have it, but no longer will it be. Verse 14 says, give them, O Lord, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breast. When you have a a womb that is fruitful and you don't have dry breast, you have fruitfulness there. Those two things go hand in hand. But he goes, with this nation, you'll have neither. You'll have barren wombs and you will have women that cannot produce fruitfulness for the next generation. All of this because of the judgment of God bringing forth to the people. Why? Because they've chased after the wrong things. And so let me ask you a question. Can you and I search after the wrong things? Yes. What happens when we do? I'll tell you this. When we search after the wrong something, it'll leave our lives in shambles. Israel searched after the wrong something, and they were in disrepair. They were in shambles. Their people were going to be scattered to other nations. It was going to be one of the darkest times in their nation. Friends, let me ask you a question. Do our poor choices just affect us? No, they don't. Can we produce kids that are aimless and 
that they're pursuing the wrong things? Yes. Have we done that? Yes. Why? Because if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves as a generation, parents or grandparents, we're chasing after things that bring delight to us and we forget that there is precious cargo on board. And if we're not careful to, to produce something crazy in us, we'll actually sacrifice the cargo on board. And I'll, friends, I'll tell you that there's many of us sitting in this room right now that we feel like if we're honest with ourselves that we were sacrificed at some point in time in our life. There's many of us that we feel like, hey, we were misguided. That in some way, shape, or form, that maybe we weren't discipled or instructed by our parents the way that we should have been. And a lot of us, we live with pain, regret, shame, denial. And many of us, even in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, are still looking for something to give us purpose, meaning, and value. And God says, you can only find it when you delight in me. And if you don't delight in me, he goes, what you'll do is you'll leave behind a trail of chaos. It'll be shrapnel. And it will not be well with you in the land. Friends, that was Israel. And if we're not careful, it'll be our own lives. Verse 15 says this, Every evil of theirs, meaning um, the north, Israel, was found in Gilgal. There I began to hate them because of the wickedness of their deeds. I will drive them out of my house, which is just in a sense a, a way to say, I will remove them from my presence. I will love them no more, all their princes and rebels. He goes, listen, from the top down, from their kings to their priests to the leaders, he goes, I'm going to love them no more. Why? Because they've become a detestable people. They've even taken Gilgal and they've made it a place of ruin. Gilgal had become a place where there was fornication and idolatry happening. The crazy thing is, if you go back to Joshua chapter 4, it is that Gilgal there, the God recedes the waters of the Jordan River. The people are going to pass through it. And what they do, they are instructed to take 12 stones out of the river and they are to put those out on dry land. And it is a reminder of God's faithfulness. It is a pointing forward to a picture of what's called imputation, a transfer of righteousness pointing to Jesus. And God does that for them in Joshua chapter 4 before they go into the promised land. And get this, at Gilgal, the very place where there is an altar built to the Lord with 12 stones to remind you of all that there is to happen. Guess what? They've now taken that place and they've made it a place of idolatry and fornication. Friends, can you take a reminder from God, an altar, and can you turn it into a place of deception and despair? Yes, you can. Has that happened before in our own lives? Yes, it can. Can we make a mockery of everything in our life if not careful? Yes, we can. How does it happen? A slow fade. Just a slow fade. Verse 16 says... Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Even though they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. The Lord is serious. He goes, listen, it will be a barren nation. It doesn't matter what Israel does. There is no repentance from them. And so there will be no love from me. Matter of fact, friends, lean in with me real quick. If you rem remember a little bit in Matthew chapter 21, um, Jesus had just had a triumphal entry. Um, he had been praised as Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna the highest. They had weighed palm branches. Uh, he was getting ready for that final week of his life to give himself on the cross for the sins of humanity. Though after that um, triumphal entry, you'll find himself coming to the place of Bethany. And it was there at Bethany that the Bible tells us in Matthew 21 that Jesus was hungry. And Jesus actually approaches a fig tree. Remember fig. 
a place of fruitfulness, and he looks at that tree, and he realizes there are no nodules on that tree. There is no fruit. And what Jesus does next is an amazing thing. He says, may the fig tree be cursed, and may it never bear fruit again. He curses this fig tree there in Bethany. And for a long time, like early in my years, I'm like, why would he like just curse a fig tree? Like, what did that fig tree do? And the fig tree is a reminder of Israel. It was as if he was saying right before his death, the, Isra- the Israelite people are not going to be blessed. Consequently, who was it that nailed Jesus to the cross? The Jews. Who was it? Their leaders. Why? Because in a sense, in their religion and in their quest towards righteousness, they actually took the very thing that would set men and women free and they nailed him to the, to the tree. Isaiah 53 says that Isaiah said that it would happen like that, that they would lead him like a, a lamb to the slaughter. It would be those people, the Jews, that would actually spit upon him, mock him, pluck his beard, reject him. And because of that, Jesus says, the nation will be barren. They will have dry wombs they will not be fruitful. They will not multiply. And in a sense, he, he, in, in his own wrath and judgment, Jesus gives a consequence. And you know what happens there? Jesus commits his spirit to the Lord, dies on the cross of Calvary. And what happens? The seed that was intended to Israel then spread forth to the Gentiles. And what did he do? He grafted you and I in by his marvelous grace. He says, my wife won't love me. And so I'll raise up people who will. And he took the mystery and he made it known, the gospel to you and I, Gentiles, half-breeds, Samaritan mutts. And he said, if she won't love me, then I'll make her jealous, Romans 11. And until the church flourishes the way I intend and, and eventually Israel sees all that's happening, he goes, there'll be a dry and barren land. Friends, will Israel one day produce fruit again? Yes, they will. Is it happening just yet? No. Even though they have the land, which happened, I believe, in 1948, guess what? There's still more Jews living in upstate New York than there are in the Holy Land. Why? Because God says they are a dry, barren nation, and it'll stay that way until he's decreed otherwise. Friends, are we blessed to have the gospel in our lives? Yes. Should we teach it to our children? Yes. Why? Because if we don't, it'll be like verse 17 in which he says, my God will reject them because they have not listened to him. So they shall be wanderers among the nations. Israel is a wanderer. Do you know what a wanderer is? It's a nomadic lifestyle. It's one who does not have a home. Is that the way that God intended it to be for his people? No. He intended Israel to have a home, to have land, to have blessings, to have fertile crops, to have fertile women, and to have a numerous nation. And yet they did not follow God. They consecrated themselves not to the God of heaven and earth, but to Baal of Peor and to other Baals. They found themselves bowing down to Asherah poles and gods of Ashtoreth, and they found themselves with a dry and a barren land. Listen, friends, may that not happen to us. And so the question you might ask yourself, well, how do I avoid it? How do I avoid being like them? How do I avoid not being fruitful? And so I just want to remind you of this sweet, delicate fruit that when you pick it just at the right time, that you could eat on it for hours. And it's a fig tree. And my father-in-law has one. And last weekend, Brady and I sat out there and we picked figs and we ate figs until we couldn't handle any more. And it was sweet. 
And it just reminds us of what it looks like to taste and see the Lord is good. And so, friends, when you think about fruitfulness, you should think about the fig. That's not, that's not cursed, but that's blessed. And so how do we have a fig-type righteousness in our lives? Well, here's number one. You follow closely after the Lord. You seek after him. You deny yourself. You take up the cross. You follow him. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 13, the prophet said this. He goes, if you seek after me, you will find me when you seek after me with all your heart. He goes, what you do is you pursue the Lord with everything you have. Friends, what are you pursuing? I mean, honestly, evaluate, ask yourself, am I pursuing the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Isn't that what he declared to the nation of Israel to do? Follow closely after the Lord. What are you following closely after? In Luke chapter 9, Jesus said this way, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, my sake, will save it. He goes, what kingdom are you going to invest in? Matthew 6, 33, he says, seek first after my kingdom and my righteousness. Friends, how are you doing in that? What does that even look like to follow after the Lord closely? Can I just tell you that there are two things that must be present in your life all the time for you to even convince me for a moment that you're following after the Lord closely. Number one is you ought to seek to abide in God's word every day. Not because you have to, not to check it off a box, not to tell everybody else that I'm reading my devotion. Like, no, like you want to seek after God's truth. You ought to be in God's word every day and you ought to be devoted to his people. Friends, if we're not living in community, we are not living and seeking after all the Lord has for us. Why? Because it is community who reminds me often that I'm not following closely after the Lord. Can I tell you, it's my community that in the last six months has helped me process some areas that I've drifted that in some ways are helping me process through a handful of things. So let me just kind of give you a little bit about me and my story. We planted Stone Point 10 years ago almost. When we started, uh, I had an income of about $30,000 a year. Um, it was hard. I met with every single person I could meet with. Why? Because it, as in a church planter, it's difficult work. You're always trying to toil uh, and labor and, and find uh a way to scatter seed on fresh and fertile ground. And, and our church grew, and guess what? So did my schedule. And as it grew, guess what? I realized that even though things were growing and demands were growing, that we didn't have enough income to supply everything that we needed at home. Kelly was a mama. She stayed at home with our kids. We felt called to that before we called, we're called to church plant. And so we just, we said, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna do this the only way we know how. She's gonna stay home with our kiddos and I'm gonna work for the kingdom of God the best I know how and she's gonna be my helpmate. Guess what? The bills continue to stack up with kids. Why? Because we had more of them. One went from one to two, from two to three in about a period of three years. It was challenging. It was hard. We realized we had to supplement our income. And so guess what? I started picking up side jobs, little side hustles. I was pastoring a church and I was doing anything I could. I would do landscape jobs. I would do mowing jobs, which then eventually, as I pastored the church, grew into an actual contract. And that contract meant that I had to meet the demands on other days of the month that I wasn't working. So on my Fridays off, I would be mowing or putting in landscape and other things. And the Lord blessed me and he used that. But guess what? I was tired all the time. Physically would oftentimes lead to spiritual tiredness, emotional tiredness, disconnection from my wife, uh, disconnection from the, the things of God. 
Kelly decides, hey, we're going to put the kids in school. We do that. And as they grow up in years, guess what? I'm still doing a little side hustle. She decides she's going to do a side hustle. She starts a little business on the side, which is fruitful and productive. She does that for a while. And, and guess what? She begins to, to sell furniture, redo furniture, all kinds of different stuff. And we're making a little bit of income. Guess what? As my pay increases, I go, you know what? That's great. But I, we can always use the extra money. So I keep all the stuff. She keeps all, we got all these wheels spinning and we're always tired. And we're always looking, in a sense, to figure out how do we disciple our kids? How do we stay true in pastoring and shepherding our church? And if you're like me, what you do is you find a way to manage it all, right? Because after all, God didn't create us to be lazy. And we don't want to just lay around and do nothing. And so that was the, I just continue to do that. And so up to date, I've done all these things and, and more. And, and all of those things, one of the reasons we do that is because we know that we got to provide for our family. Why? Because a man who follows closely after the Lord should provide for his family problem is, is what does my family really need? And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself chasing after another dollar. Why? Because just a little bit more pays for our vacation next year. And hey, just a little bit more provides a little bit of income for our kids' 529 college plan. Hey, and just a little bit more means that we can have some of the amenities we want. Because after all, what would our farm be without some of the amenities? And how in the world am I going to mow this place if I don't have a brand new tractor? Anybody get sucked into that? Okay, if you've not been sucked into it, then praise God, don't do that. But what happens is you'll find yourself getting sucked into places and all of those things in a way can be good. They're not necessarily bad, but listen, can I just tell you where I've been? It's just going, hey, Lord, I know there's something more fruitful than this. I know if I'm gonna follow after you closely, then I've got to make the main thing the main thing. And so we've just been in a season of purging, like just kind of giving some stuff up, trusting the Lord for his provision, and, and it's been a beautiful thing, but also it's a very a difficult thing. Why? Because some of the things that we've connected in are ways that we connect emotionally together. And so to give up some of the things that we enjoy, we're like, well, what are we going to do now? You know, what are we going to do now? And we're like, hey, you know what? We're going to do what fruitful people do. And it's not just follow after the Lord closely, but it's also to invest in the next generation. Like We just want to make sure we're investing in the right things. And so if we're not careful as parents, I don't know about you, but I can be kind of selfish, Right? I mean, I, I can invest in the next generation or I can go, you know what? We don't really have time to do all those things, kids. We're going to do these things. And if we're not careful, we'll invest in the wrong things. So what's it look like to invest in the next generation? Well, here's what Deuteronomy says. Uh, Y'all remember Deuteronomy? He talks about it in, in chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6. Look at chapter 11. He says this, hey, be careful or you're going to be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Hey, what is your God? It probably doesn't look like the God of Baal or an asterisk pole, right? But what is your God? What is it that you're pursuing? He goes, if, if you're not careful, you'll bow down to it. And then he says, then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will, will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good uh, land the Lord has given you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and buy them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when they sit at home, when you rise, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land of the Lord that he swore to give you and your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. He goes, listen, all you got to do is follow me. Tell your children how to follow me. Model that. Friends, what are we modeling? Who are we investing in? Dads, if your children are to look at you, do they say that you love your spouse well? Do they say that you serve and honor your wife? Wives, do they say that you serve and honor your husband? Hey, are you steady? Like, are you always tossed to and fro? Are you always pursuing something new? Or are you like, no, like he's steady. Like he, he knows where he's taking. Are you on point? Are you on target? Or are you pursuing something 
off course? Are you a disciplinarian? Are you consistent? Are your words yes and your words no? Or are you constantly wavering back and forth? Who are you? What are you? Are you sober-minded and alert? Do your kids know you to be sober-minded? Or do they can see you as somebody who's dazed, confused, oftentimes altered in your mind by sometimes what you're fixated on, sometimes substances, sometimes your work, sometimes other things? What are you doing with your life? Parents, what are you doing? Grandparents, this could be true of you as well, because as long as we're still breathing, we can still be discipling. Do you lead with love? Or are you angry and bitter? Are you a continual nag and complainer or are you a servant? Or you have a tender heart for the things of the Lord? Do you live under authority? Listen, friends, over the last four months, are you one who's lived under authority? That's hard, isn't it? Ask your kids. I could ask them. They'll tell me. What are we complaining about? What do we have a hard time with? Hey, do we invest in God's work? Are we serving in the body? If you're serving great. Are your kids serving alongside of it? Why can your friends, why friends, can we not teach our kids to serve? Right now, right now as we speak, I've got a 10-year-old who's helping make sure the content goes out to both campuses. He's upstairs and he's served all morning. Why? Because kids ministry is not going on. He's like, dad, I got a place to serve. So last week he ran lights here. Today he's like, I'm upstairs somewhere. I don't know what he's doing, but I'll tell you this, he has a heart for the kingdom of God and the church. Praise the Lord. That's not because of me. It's because of God's goodness. But I'll tell you, why are we not serving? For many of us, we have too many excuses. Listen, it's time to invest in the next generation. If you're not going to do a job around here, will you do me a favor and invest up somebody that will? I'm being serious. If you're not going to help us serve in kids' ministry, will you, will you free up your 13-year-old to do it? Because I'm convinced that a 13-year-old can teach a 7-year-old how to love God, and they may do it in a way that pleases the Lord. If we're not going to do it, then let's invest in the next generation. Why? Because, listen, the last part of the fig is to be fruitful and to glorify God in all things. And so we follow God closely, we invest and instruct the next generation, and guess what? We glorify God in all things. I love this verse. It's one you should memorize, Colossians 3:17, and it just says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, glorify God. Friends, as we leave this place, we have a chance to bring glory to God and we can produce fruitfulness. We don't have to be a dead fig tree, but we can be connected to the vine. Isn't that what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse five? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I am him, he'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, apart from Jesus, your lives will be fruitless. They'll be without purpose. And you'll always be aimlessly wandering around like Israel, wondering when are we finally gonna be home? And listen, you're only at home when you're at home with the Lord. And listen, he resides in his people. He says, you were once darkness and you found the light. You were once an alien and a stranger. And now, now you're called a son or a daughter of God. You were once a lost and a broken generation, but now you've been a part of the sheepfold. I say something, you hear my voice and you follow me. That's what the people of God do. And I pray we'll do it well. May we be figs on a fruitful tree following closely after the Lord, investing in the next generation, and may we glorify God in all things. Friends, if you'll allow me to, as we close, can I just say something? If you were a parent in here, if you would like, you can be signed up for 
Stone Point News. In the Stone Point News, there is a link every single week. Matter of fact, if you're a part of kids ministry, you should get an email from us. And that email actually has a plan for you to to spend some time with your kids every single week. Listen, can I just tell you something? We send out 200 at least a week on those to emails. And right now our click rate is less than 4%. You know what that tells us as a team is we got a lot of work to do, don't we parents? Because it doesn't matter if you lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. And friends, listen, I think we're investing our our time in some of the wrong places. Let's open up the word of God this week. Let's instruct our children to do the same. And may we love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen? Amen. Got a commitment from you? I hope to see you next week and encourage you some more. Let's pray together and then we're going to sing a little bit before we break loose for lunch or whatever it is you got going on. Maybe planting some flowers on the hottest day of the year. Let's pray together. (laughs) Father in heaven, we love you and thank you for your grace, your kindness, your goodness to us. Father, we know that it's not anything we've done, but it is by the marvelous grace of our Lord that you would send your son that while we were yet sinners, you would die for us. Father, thank you for such an amazing grace that, Lord, that you would love us even though we were unlovable. We were sinners. Not one of us was righteous. Not one of us was deserving of forgiveness or even a relationship with God. But yet you saw fit in your mercy to lavish upon us the great love of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he lived a perfect life, that he never sinned, that he was not only our sacrifice, but our perfect high priest, that he came before the Father in heaven and on our behalf, he made us right before God. Thank you. And all we have to do is call upon you, that if we'll believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that he is Lord, that Jesus is worthy, that he is perfect and he is our savior, that we can have eternal life. Friends, I pray that we would recognize that about our great God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.